This morning, we're continuing a, uh, a five-week series called Tech at Home. It's part of a larger campaign that if you didn't get material last week, you weren't here, I encourage you to go to the Faith at Home Center. There's uh, uh, some, some cards for you to have conversations around the dinner table about technology and its place in our lives. There's also a brochure that gives you more information about how you can engage with us. We want this to be a whole church uh, engagement campaign and uh, really want to find a place for our technology that allows us to connect first and foremost face-to-face. And then let technology uh, fill those gaps and to, to bless our lives, not take away from it. Last week we talked about how uh, Jesus came to give us an abundant life. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so we want to be a church that helps us in the realm of technology figure out how to make that the case there as well. Uh, let's begin with prayer this morning, and then I'm excited to share with you uh, a message from, uh, from, from, the, from the Word of God. God, we, uh, we worship you as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We acknowledge you also as the God who liberates those in bondage. But you're also God of those who have been freed who still live in bondage. And so God, today as we uh, go back to tell your ancient stories and to connect them to the most relevant topics, God, in our lives, we ask that you would, uh, would move to help us see, God, how we can uh, be your people in the world, to be your light, to be your salt, and to display your kingdom everywhere we go. And this morning, God, toward that end, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and our imaginations. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. January 9, 2007, a man named Steve Jobs walked onto the stage and revealed magic. The announcement of the iPhone. There have been all kinds of products before that captured the imagination of, uh, you know, Apple lovers, right? Uh, in fact, I'll admit I'm a part of the Apple family. But when it comes to uh, Jobs, this announcement, he, he was really showing a whole new advancement in technology. Because it wasn't just the music that could be put on a device like the iPod. It was your phone that once was connected to a wall, but it was access to the internet. It was everything into one machine. It was like this magical device, right? Some of you still remember seeing the original announcement where he said, look, some of the other devices have styluses and pens, but we don't have those. God gave us 10 of those. And this screen is going to allow you to zoom in. That all seems so normal now, right? Like my son was born two years after the release date of the iPhone. He doesn't know a world with phones plugged into the wall. We see sitcoms sometimes and we have to explain life in the past when it's only a decade old. But I'm what you call an early adopter. And I grew up in a family of Apple lovers. I converted my wife to the Apple family as well. She's probably a bigger fan than even I am. But it started with the old machine my dad had, the Macintosh 2SI. Do you remember a machine like this? And uh, I still remember the green screen and, you know, trying to figure out how to play golf on a thing like that. It didn't make any sense. Our kids wouldn't get it. But uh, games, and you can find the internet to some degree at some point eventually with these machines. But then it came the iMac, which looked a whole lot better, right? And I remember getting my iMac as I was entering into high school about to begin papers and all the research that would happen. And then I remember the iPod, this idea that you could carry all these phones. I remember the first guy who told me about an MP3 and I thought, that'll never work, right? And now look at the record stores, the cassette tape industry, the CDs, it's all digital now, isn't it? And then it was uh, the iPhone, right? We talked about today. And then the iPad and, and then the Apple Watch. And all of these things are 
things, whether it's Apple or it's other devices that you use, these things have revolutionized our world. And, and when Steve Jobs came out and he announced all of this, it was like magic. It was enchanting. We were full of wonder about these magical machines that now, just a decade later, we take for granted. But one more thing. At the same time Steve Jobs was telling the world about how magical this new device was, little did we know that he was protecting his children from the same screens that he was promoting to consumers. And why? Steve Jobs was a visionary who understood the future and what people would buy and what they would wake up to. But now we're beginning to wake up to the fact that maybe he knew more than he led on to. What he knew is this. Technology without boundaries will eventually turn us into slaves. It'll put us in bondage. See, in our culture, we tend to believe that progress is inevitable. We worship at the altar of technology. We believe that because progress is inevitable, that any technology is a good thing that will bless our lives. And oftentimes, we can get point to examples of where that has been the case. We believe that we've progressed past previous generations, and our hope is that our children will progress past what we can even imagine. And when progress is assumed, Technology is automatically assumed to be our friend. And it's important to see that technology is in many ways. Think about the advancements over the last 200 years, 150 years ago. Life expectancy was less than half of what it is today. That's a good thing, right? Think about other industries and other areas. Vaccines have changed the way, the game when it comes to diseases. We've experienced a significant decrease in global poverty. That's a great thing to see that. That's an advancement over the last century, but even over the last 15 to 20 years, we've seen great advancements in how we're trying to take care of the world. We have a ways to go. And while slavery is an issue globally, and certainly trafficking, a growing awareness we're growing to in our own country, there has been a change in consciousness around the idea of slavery because just 200 years ago, it was assumed that's the way the world worked, and that was perfectly acceptable. But today, there are few around the world that would submit that's the way the world should be. No, no, no. We've shifted to believe that's wrong and it's an ill that needs to be dealt with. It's remarkable the advancements from 10,000 songs to our, in our pockets to any question I want answered. I could pull out my phone right now and I get the answer. Just like you can Google to see if what I'm telling you is the truth about certain things. I know you do that. So we've come a long way in many areas. But in other ways, uh, we've, dis- we've discovered the future isn't always as bright or without flaws as we think it might be. Um, I remember this cartoon that some of you will remember, the Jetsons, right? The- this family was trying to picture the future of what space travel would be, about what life would be in the future, and they got a lot maybe right, but we look around, it's even better than that. I mean, George, Judy, Jane, and Elroy lived in a world that, that is much different than what we live in today. And I grew up thinking that was futuristic until, yes, the show of my generation came out, Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris and his cell phone, right? Now, today that looks like a brick he's carrying around, right? Doesn't look advanced, but some of you were the first ones to carry those things in your car, right? You had had it plugged in or you, you had those first models of the cell phone. It was amazing that we could connect anywhere and everywhere. And so we think we're evolving, but then there are moments where I have to wonder, are we really progressing as much as we think we are? Like, like this moment. Do you remember this earlier this year in January? It'd be a little hard to see. It's a moment at the Super Bowl halftime show where Justin Timberlake's there and Ryan McKenna, we find out his name, is struggling with his phone, trying to get to his camera so he can take a selfie, missing the moment right in front of him on national television. And I look at a moment like that and I think, is that really an advancement? Are we really progressing? 
Are we missing out on the moments that matter most or the moments we're most excited about in our lives trying to somehow capture it and put it on a machine on a terabyte drive somewhere at home? So this begs the question, what is progress? Now, we might look at the Bible and think, well, this document that goes back to about 1500 BC up to about 100 AD, what would that have to offer us about technology? That's an ancient document. It must have nothing to say about our current day and age. We might assume that it has nothing to teach us, but I want to challenge that idea this morning. Because we think technology is a new issue we're dealing with, but the people in Scripture were dealing with issues of technology from the very first book in the Bible. In fact, one of the most popular stories about technology is still a story that's found in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles or your screens, feel free to turn or, or, or swipe there to Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And while you're uh, turning there, getting to there on your devices, I, I want to set up the context of this because Genesis 1 through 11 can be seen as a story about a lot of different things. But one of it, the ways you can read this story is a story about the coming of, civil, the, the coming of civilization, the, the growth of civilization. It starts out with people in a garden, but by the third chapter, fourth chapter, you have people who are now uh, planting and, 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 and you've got nomadic herders that are going around with their, their flocks, but you've got others that are beginning to plant and see where you can actually plant a farm and learn how to work the fields. You can stay in one place. That was a massive advancement. And then they build cities, and then those cities eventually turn into empires. And that's the story we see as we come to Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis 1 through 11, it is a story about technology. And here's what technology is. Technology is reordering the raw materials God has given us for human purposes. And so when we use technology, what we're doing is we're fulfilling the commandment of God. First, it's be fruitful and multiply. The second command that God gives is cultivate the earth, subdue the earth, rule over it. And so we use technology as a way to do that very thing. And we take God's good things and we turn them into into even better things. Think about the examples of this. God delivers grapes. We discover a way to make wine. And that wine becomes in the first century a way of reminding ourselves about the story of Jesus. Carpenters, they take the raw materials of lumber, and out of that, they construct houses and tables and all kinds of things you can imagine. In fact, Jesus is uh, out of that line of thinking, right? He was trained likely by his father who took the raw materials and turned them into something. Think also about uh, pharmaceutical chemists who reorder organic and synthetic materials together to somehow bring healing to the body. Musicians, right? I mean, even what we had today as we were worshiping is it's taking sounds and notes and putting them to, and arranging them together in a way that we have this beautiful music that's able to be given back to God. Technology was God's idea. And he longs for us to continue to reorder his good earth and make it even better in the ways that we bring things to that. But, but there's a dark side of technology as well. So keep your finger there in, in Genesis 11. That's a little harder doing your screens, I guess. But turn back with me, if you would, to, to Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel have already had the first murder in Scripture. A brother kills a brother. And two of Cain's descendants are Lamech and Tubal-Cain. Tubal-Cain. If, you got, if you're looking for a baby name, man, that's one of them you've got to pay attention to. And they start creating these new tools. I want you to check out what happens when they start crafting technology tools. Genesis 4, verses 19 to 24. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister 
was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, and Lamech 77 times. You see, in order to cultivate God's good world, they begin to fashion these tools that do things for them. And it's a wonderful thing. They're making music with these tools, right? That's a great advancement. Sure, they're doing other wonderful things in farming as they advance these tools. But by Genesis 6, when God decides to flood the earth, what we find out is the reason he does so is because violence has increased on the earth. This is the same ingenuity that it takes to build instruments and to build other tools for the sake of farming or the same technology that begins to build weapons that cause destruction where God has to come in and do creation 2.0 through the flood. You see, we make music with our tools and we make weapons with our tools. And still today, we struggle with the same thing, right? We make medicine with our tools and we make missiles. Isn't that the way it is with technology? What was intended to bless our lives sometimes becomes the very thing that destroys life as we know it. But in Genesis chapter 11, back to the story of Babel, I want you to notice this story about a leap forward in technology. Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Did you notice this technological advancement right there? I mean, it's massive. We don't think about it. But back in those days, I mean, when you built a house, you would maybe find some clay and some sticks. And you, I mean, I'm, think Survivor, right? That's how you build structures early on. And if you're trying to stack stones, it's incredibly difficult to build you know, big objects with stones. But all of a sudden, there's this massive advancement in Genesis chapter 11. Because now they realize that if you form that clay in a certain way and you let it bake in the sun, then all of a sudden, it'll turn into a brick. And if you put enough of these bricks together, you can actually stack them on top of each other much easier than stones can stack on top of one another. And once they begin to do that, they realize, well, we can build houses. But what we see in Genesis 11 as the story goes on is they decide we can build even more than that. And God's a fan of this. He's a fan of creativity and innovation. He wants us to continue to move forward as a culture. But we have to watch out for the dark sides every time there's an advance. And that's what happens here as we read on in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You see, in this story, they're not just building houses. What we begin to realize is their ingenuity and their creativity allows them to build towers and skyscrapers. And skyscrapers are fine on their own until you realize the reason they're building this, right? Trying to make a name for themselves. Trying to build a tower to heaven so they can be like God. Wasn't this the original sin? The original sin was that they might eat of the tree so they might have the knowledge of good and evil so they might be like God. And it's the same temptation here that leads them to build this tower. And I, I love the humor in this story, don't you? I mean, if you pay close attention, you realize God's like, he's jabbing them, right? 
Because it says that in the text, he had to come down from heaven to see this tower. They think they're building this massive structure for the first time. But I can imagine God like leaning over to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the rest of the angelic multitude being like, see that little Lego tower there? Can you, can you kind of see that kind of ant structure down there? I mean, God, God's so much bigger than this. And we just have these kind of grandiose pictures of what we can build. See, these bricks, they aren't just tools. These bricks are building in them a kind of pride. They're constructing something that has a dark side if they're not careful and don't control it. So God has to come down and do something about it. As the book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The better technology gets, the more we believe that's not true. The more we believe we can outwit God, the more we believe that, well, we can build things that can't be destructed. So there's a quote I want you to guess the uh, author or the spokesperson. Uh, Let me read this right now. I cannot imagine any condition that would cause the ship to flounder. I cannot imagine any disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. Anyone know who said that? It's Captain of the Titanic, E.J. Smith. You know this quote in its movie form by the phrase, God himself couldn't even sink this ship. See, these quotes fueled by... Uh, a pride and arrogance that happened around the turn of the 20th century as things began to advance that maybe we could build ships that wouldn't sink. Maybe we can build structures that couldn't even be brought down. But on April 15, this very date, in 1912, Titanic sank in the waters between the United States and England. This unsinkable ship sank. But what you might not know about this story is an interesting detail that happened 14 years before it sank. There was a U.S. writer named Morgan Robertson that wrote a short story, a novella, that he called Futility. And in that story, it's pretty amazing the parallels between the Titanic sinking and this story. In that story, you wouldn't believe the similarities. In this novella, the boat described as the largest ship on earth at that time was called the Titan. The ships were practically the same size, the Titanic only measuring 25 meters longer. Both ships were described as unsinkable, but struck an iceberg and sank in mid-April, interestingly enough. Both ships were capable of speeds over 20 knots, and despite having thousands of passengers on board, both ships carried the legal minimum number of lifeboats that weren't near enough to save those going around. Now, if you were to read that story and you didn't know the date, you would swear that that was a story that came after the story of the Titanic, right? But what we find out is in literature, whether it's fiction or it's scripture itself, there are these signs that even technology can't live up to the promise we would hope for. And the story of the Tower of Babel is a similar story. Because history repeats itself. I love the way Mark Twain says it. He, he says history doesn't repeat itself, it just rhymes. And I think that it does that, right? This is why we need these stories to, 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 to dig into. This is why scripture is so helpful. Even these ancient stories about modern questions that we have. Because what's interesting is bricks show up in Genesis chapter 11, but you know the next time if you were to take in concordance that bricks show up in scripture? Well, turn with me if you would to that place. It's in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1, beginning in verse 8. Listen to this story. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. See what happened here? If this isn't a modern parallel for life in 2018 around our technology. In 2007, we were so excited about this announcement, right? Many of us were early adopters and we went out and got these devices. In the same way that in Genesis 11, these bricks are constructed. And all of a sudden, those were creative types. The entrepreneurs are thinking, what can we do with these bricks? Can you imagine if we were able to, to build enough bricks, we could build all this great city. And then we could build walls around us. And then we could protect ourselves. And then we could build temples to our gods. I mean, this is the way they thought. And the way the story ends in Genesis 11 is with those bricks coming tumbling down and their language being confused. And the next time we read it, you know what happens to this great promise? It ends up enslaving the very people who thought it held such great promise. People of Israel are working day after day, trying to meet quotas, forming the same bricks that they once thought held such great promise. The story's trying to tell us something. The technology without boundaries will eventually make us slaves. And, and they had to learn the hard way in Egypt. Technology makes a wonderful servant, but it makes a terrible master if you don't set boundaries around it. And this is the reason why Steve Jobs knew not to give his kids these screen with unfettered access. Because he was profit enough to know that if the Titanic sank, and if technology didn't work in stories like the Tower of Babel, then there may be something that draws us in that doesn't allow us to handle this screen in a good way. He knew that technology can slave us if we're not careful. And that's why this series and this campaign is so important as a church, because what we're trying to do is what innovators and entrepreneurs don't do. The capitalist system sets things up in a way that if you make things and people buy it, then you just make more of it. Right? People will consume what is a good product. And we've done that with Apple products, along with all kinds of other smartphones. But it's not the job of the innovator or the entrepreneur in our country or in our world or in our culture to set standards or boundaries or ask questions of ethics around those inventions. So somebody has to do that. And parents are stuck with that task today. And it should be the job of the church to come in and ask that question. We've learned from the past, from the Tower of Babel, that it doesn't work just to see promise, but sometimes the very thing with promise will enslave you if you're not careful. It's the job of us as the people of faith to try to find a way in the culture, to find a set boundaries, to set filters, to say no to our devices at certain times so we can say yes to them at the right times. And that's why we're doing this series. And here's the problem when it comes to our, our culture and the kind of the economy that we live in, our capitalism. We tend to ask the question around products like this when it comes to technology, we tend to ask if our wallets can afford it. When the next technology comes out, that's the question you have as a family, is what's the price point, and is it worth the price point, and can we afford it? Sometimes planned obsolescence forces you to take it even when you're not ready and don't have the wallet to afford it, right? But I want to ask and prompt a different question. It's a question that we're not asking enough. It's a question the church has to prompt in our culture. The question is this. When it comes to technology, can our soul afford it? We're not asking that question. 
We know our kids need a babysitter sometimes. It's easy to hand them a screen, but we don't think sometimes what's that doing in the process. We don't have the data to know what our screens are doing to us. And I'm not prompting this conversation to create fear about what the future holds, but to let us know that if we don't set boundaries, all of a sudden we'll become slaves to things that held so much promise in our lives. So what does that look like for us in our culture to try to figure this out? Well, God had to help Israel set boundaries. You remember the story, God's a liberator, and that's what happens in, in, in Exodus, right? He liberates his people from their bondage after 430 years. And after those 430 years, he frees them. But the problem is, if you take these people who've been taking bricks and all day long working, meeting quotas, when they set up their own country, it's going to look pretty bad because they've not learned boundaries. They've not learned, learned to say no to certain things. They've not learned a healthy way of life. And so Moses goes up on the mountain, and he receives 10 words, 10 commandments from God. And one of those Ten Commandments, the positive one out of the list, is honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. We talked about this in the last series about work, right? There's a six-in-one rhythm to the universe. God designed us and creation to have six days of work and then a day of rest. And if we don't rest all of a sudden, we become slaves to whatever it is that we don't say no to. And so a lot of us learned in our jobs, we need a day off. We need a vacation every now and again. But my question is, are we saying the same thing to our technology? When's the last time you turned your cell phone off? When's the last time you gave your phone a break so that you could have a break? Yeah, every night you might hit do not disturb if you've got some kind of boundaries in your life. And every night we're going to make sure we plug it in so it can be turned on the next day or stay on. I don't know the last time I turned my phone off. God sets boundaries in the brick making of Israel. Because he knows that just because people become free externally doesn't mean that they're free internally. So when was the last time that you went 24 hours without your phone? When was the last time you left your phone someplace and didn't drive back all the way to get it because you didn't know what you would do the rest of the day? When was the last time you ate a lunch with a friend, committing with your friend to turn it off so you could be fully engaged in the conversation in front of you? I know there's a lot of examples why that's really hard to do or why around work that may be impossible in your case. Or I know we want to be accessible to our families in case of emergency. But the world went on for several thousand years before that, able to do that. And accessibility is a good thing, but accessibility isn't just being able to access others. It means everyone's able to access us. So the question we want to prompt this morning is, what does it look like to set up boundaries in our lives? What does it look like to say no, to turn things off, lend up a slip? And I'll say more about this next, about our, our phones and about kind of our fear of of why I think we kind of go to these phones in every situation, whether it's an awkward situation and that's an easy thing to go to or to signal to people we're not interested in conversation or we've got deadlines and we've got to meet. And there's all kinds of reasons we do that. We'll talk about that more next week. But just for today, I want us to see this story in light of the story of Scripture. This held such great promise, the brick did, and yet bricks are the very thing that broke the people of Israel. They were enslaved and in bondage to it. And God has to set them up at Mount Sinai to say there's another way to do life it doesn't mean you have to get rid of bricks when you go to build your city. It just means you think of it differently. And in the same way, I would beg us to ask the same question. In our groups this week, in our families around converse, uh, the lunch table, I encourage you to have this conversation. What is, it, what is the, 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 babble, or the uh, babble moment for you? What are, what are those exciting things that you want to engage in that you think, this is going to be a great technology? Let's talk about that conversation. There are great things around technology to, to see and to desire and to move toward. But in the same way, I want us to look at the Exodus story and ask the question, what is it in terms of technology that's actually putting us in bondage? What is the very thing that's enslaving us? How do we feel that crunch on ourselves? And then the question, what does it look like on the other side of bondage 
to find ways to set boundaries, to be free, and to use our devices rather than letting our devices uh, take over us. So this is the challenge we want to give. We've got more to come. I want to close us in prayer this morning as we close our time in the Word. Father, you are a God who is a liberator of people who are under bondage. And in our culture, we have seen the great promise of technology, and we have felt the chains of technology. God, this is hard to work out because there's so many ways that we can give excuse or just real life situations that don't allow us to say no in the way we should. But God, we know there are a lot more we can do because our desire is to live for certain things. It's to be a a people who are connected face-to-face, to do life with you and to do life with one another. And God, we've got to discover what that looks like to do that in a healthy way. Help us as the church lead the way in this. Help us live as an odd, distinct people who uh, are reminded that it's most important to love you and to love the people around us. Help us to discover ways to do that. So I pray for our conversations in our groups this week and in our family systems that you'd help us have this positive conversation moving forward and let it not be a conversation that's driven by fear or anxiety, but let it be driven by a clear sense of goal and purpose of the abundant life you want to offer us. God, we don't want the thief to steal, to kill, and destroy. We want to have life and life to the full. So help us to discover that together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.